0: Welcome to the Rainmaker Fundraising Podcast, where you'll get actionable tips and advice on major gifts, direct response fundraising, legacy giving, and much more from leading experts in the nonprofit sector.
1: Before we get into today's episode, I've got three important updates for you. If you want to increase your success with mid-level and major gift fundraising, you need to grab a copy of Rainmaking, The Fundraiser's Guide to Landing Big Gifts. This book is in use by more than 3,000 nonprofits and has helped raise over a quarter of a billion dollars for charitable causes since 2013. As a leader and practitioner in the nonprofit sector, you may also be looking for a guide to help you navigate some of the biggest challenges that you face. That's why in 2019, I brought together 28 key leaders and fundraisers from across our sector to share their insights and help leaders like you avoid making costly mistakes. My newest book, 101 Biggest Mistakes Nonprofits Make and How You Can Avoid Them, is currently in the hands of more than 1,500 nonprofit leaders, helping them to navigate those key challenges. It can help you too. And you can get either of these resources or both of them simply by going out to Amazon today. The third thing that I've got for you is a request. If you enjoy this podcast and the conversations we have, I'd greatly appreciate you going out to Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen and doing two things. If you can go out and give us a rating, then write us a brief review, I'd really appreciate it. Those two things help us find other listeners and they help me continue to secure great guests that'll bring valuable content and insights to you. So please take a minute today to go out and give us a rating and a quick review it'll only take a minute to do. Thanks so much. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the show. This is Andrew Olson. I am really excited to be here today with Jennifer Risher. She's a, a former Microsoft executive, author of We Need to Talk, a memoir about wealth, and co-founder of Half My DAF. Jennifer, welcome to the show today.
0: Thank you, Andrew. It's great to be here.
1: I'm I'm super excited for this conversation. DAF giving is such an important and, and growing part of philanthropy so I'm, I'm excited to, to talk with you about that before we jump into that you've uh, authored a book with a, a really interesting uh, title I've not had a chance to read it yet but I'm looking forward to it tell us about we need to talk a memoir about wealth and tell us why you wrote it
0: um thank you yes well you know I I got really lucky when I was 25 I joined Microsoft I met my husband David and I got stalked that ended up being worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. And you know, six years later, Dave and I were married and expecting our first child. And he decided to take a job at a bookstore on the internet that was you know, selling books. And, and it ended up being amazon.com. <laughs> and we were in our early 30s and the company went public and we really had more money than we could wrap our heads around. Um, but wealth surprised me, you know, having a lot of money doesn't look or feel like what Hollywood sells us. Mm. And so I wrote my book to really shine a light on the reality of wealth, because it has an in, hidden impact on your identity. I grew up middle-class values, saving my pennies, wary of the rich. And suddenly I was one of them. And it felt very strange Um, because we have this fantasy in our heads about what it's like to have a lot of money. The reality of finding yourself in sort of this strange silent space where no one's talking about money feels really odd. Of course, money makes life easier. I have no complaints. I feel very fortunate. Um, But the hidden impact on us as parents who suddenly worry about you know, are we going to raise spoiled entitled children <laughs> as partners? I mean, I think it's hard for any partners to, to, you know, work through money issues. If one's a spender, or one's a saver, suddenly that dynamic becomes even more intense. If you have a lot of money, um, impact on siblings, you know, is your brother resentful? Does your <laughs> you know, sister feel entitled to some of what you have? Um, friends, you know, friends can be jealous, So you can't really share what's going on in your life, or they feel like they can't relate to you. So all of these complex emotional issues arise with with wealth. And so I wrote my book really to share my story as a way for other people to understand their own, um, but also to help us talk, because at any level, no matter how much is in your bank account, you're probably not talking with people about money. It's a very uncomfortable topic, but it doesn't have to be. I want to help move money out of the taboo category, out of the shame category and get us talking to each other.
1: Yeah, you know, it's it's fascinating. I mean, uh, I've been in the business of fundraising now for two decades and one of the most difficult conversations to have as a fundraiser if you aren't accustomed to engaging with people who have um, who have money, who have greater means than you might, that can be a really difficult conversation, you know? And so I, I think the, the benefit to our sector in work like yours is to start to understand in a maybe less threatening way, how to think about and relate to a, a donor who has greater capacity than, than you individually or personally might. Um, so I think, you know, just from, from the description of it, it sounds like your your book would be really insightful for fundraisers and nonprofit leaders to really help kind of understand what you as as a person who has acquired and accumulated wealth, who also happens to be a donor, you know, how, how that shapes you and how you think about um, your capacity because of that. Um, I don't know, react to that for me.
0: Well, my first reaction is, you know, eight out of 10 people with wealth grew up middle class or poor. Hmm. So they are you. And most of us with a a lot of point are hidden in plain sight. So I'm you. I've gotten a lot luckier. And I have this tool at my disposal that you don't have, but I still care most about connecting with you. Hmm. I, I, I that's what we all care about. So as a fundraiser, when you're thinking about you know a, a, approaching a donor, think of yourself as one human being approaching another human being. And yeah, you could say there's this power dynamic because I want something from you. Or, but I think that's the wrong mindset. It's not approaching someone uh, to ask for money. It's not trying to close the deal <laughs> or, or make the sale. It really is because your mindset needs to be how are you gonna help each other? Because you have to understand that donors are human beings who want, like you do, to make a difference in the world. They wanna be their best selves. And as a fundraiser, you can give them that opportunity to make a difference. So when you're you're gonna talk to a potential donor, I think it's important to listen to who they are, understand who they are, do a little research on who they are, as far as what you can find out on the internet, and then (laughs) listen to them, listen to what they care about. What, where are their passions? Because it's that, that common passion Mm -hmm. that you find that that's where, and that's the connection that you can make. It's all about relationships. It has to be about relationships because it's the money's secondary. If you approach a donor and it's, it's really about understanding who that person is, maybe they care about, animal rights or, or environmental issues or racial justice issues, whatever your organization you know, is working with, but maybe they don't. And if they don't, then maybe they're not a donor for you. <laughs> I think it really is finding that common, because once you can connect on a common um, interest or passion, whether it's um, education, underserved communities or, or teaching girls to run or whatever it is, when you have that comment, then you can really connect to the other person as, as a person. And yeah. that's where you relate. And that's where you can you can raise money together. You can make an impact together.
1: It's a great point. Yeah. So we're going to talk about donor advised fund giving today. Um, normally when I uh, sit across the Zoom screen, now that I can't sit across the table and, and do these in person, um, you know, I, I'm typically sitting across the table from a nonprofit CEO, or from a, a professional fundraiser, or a fundraising consultant, you don't fit any of those categories. Uh, but you are really passionate about engaging people to increase their philanthropy by by giving from their donor advised fund accounts. Talk to me about the unique perspective that you're bringing to that conversation, and why the people who listen to this show, the, the fundraisers and the nonprofit CEOs, uh, need to be listening to this message.
0: I think it's important first of all like i just said that that fundraisers understand their donors as people um, and understand their capacity and understand this tool that many donors do use and it's called a donor advised fund and just to nuts and bolts what a donor advised fund is is a charitable vehicle it's it's money that it's sort of like having a charitable checking account so i as a donor Maybe my financial advisor comes to me and says, you know, you're going to have this event. This is is a moment to put some money into to one of these donor advised funds because I get a tax break up front. So when I put my money into a a DAF, into a donor advised fund, I get my tax break up front. And then that money is charitable dollars that I can choose to recommend gifts from um, at any time. So anyone who has one of these, you know, has capacity. So they're interesting people to, to, to get to know. Um, but they're all different people. Everyone has a different, you know, attitude towards this. So once I have money, money in my donor advised fund, it can stay there as long as it can stay there forever. And that's a problem. And that's the problem that kind that of, we're my husband and I are trying to solve because there's a lot of money stuck in those donor advised funds. Even though they do offer kind of a nice organizing mechanism for donors, I I can decide to give, you know, at, at certain times and it, it gives me time to think about my giving. Uh, a lot of times it just gets stuck there because there's no payout requirement. There's nothing that kind of nudges me to to make my donations out of the out of my DAF. You know, and, and that's another kind of problem with the structure. So what we've done is we were aware of like billions, $120 billion and now even more in donor advised funds that are stuck there. And we wanna help move those through.
1: Okay, so that part makes sense to me. I I, I think one of the interesting things that I discovered as I was was doing research around donor advised funds is, I I think there's a perception, uh, at least in the nonprofit community, that only quote unquote, rich people have DAFs. But what I've seen is, you know, for many of them, the the initial allocation that you have to, have to make to open an account, it could be as small as like $5,000. So, you know, I, I wouldn't say that's, you know, a a, a very small donor, you know, a, a very low dollar giver, but it's not, you know, it's not like you have to put in seven figures, right?
0: No, and that landscape has changed over the, it used to be that way, but okay. now it's not. Um, it okay. definitely has changed. There's many more, there's over 700. Fifty thousand DAFs in the country. Wow! Um, so there are many DAFs. You can you can start a DAF at a thousand dollars, five thousand dollars, and there are three different types of DAFs. Um, there are, many are are. are um, Sponsored by these national DAF sponsors, Fidelity, Vanguard, or Schwab. Okay. They can also have a DAF at a community foundation, and these are kind of more focused on local giving, like you know the Napa Valley Community Foundation or the Chicago Community Foundation. And then there are some single issue DAFs that are focused on you know single issues like often education or or religion, like the um, Jewish Federation or Stanford University or single issue DAF. So there's sure. many different ways you can kind of put your money into a daf and and we've found that many people have quote smaller dafs um of $5000 so it it isn't just relegated to people who have you know great wealth
1: so let's stop for a second and talk about those uh those fund sponsors right the the fidelities the the schwabs the, those guys um what role do they play in the system and and what role do they play in the process of of helping people or maybe not um, give from their uh, giving accounts?
0: This is a critical question. OK. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would like to say they play a big role in helping people figure out where to give, um, but they're providing the, the opportunity for people to move tax money into a DAF. That's as far as the national um, DAF sponsors go, there's not a lot they, they do to, to help people. Or to help move that money through, community foundations are a little more hands-on, um, and single-issue DAFs perhaps are as well. But what we've found is, from personal experience, that that you know, no one's telling us. Oh, by the way, you know, you have this money in, in your DAF. What, you know, why don't you think about giving it to, you know, a, a cause that you care about, or like guiding us through? There's that doesn't happen, and that's part of the broken structure that exists. Um, the other part, I think, is this fact that it can sit there forever the money never has to move there's no moment where it where it, it, sure. it's not like after 10 years it needs to move out or it's not like a foundation where you have to move 5% every year <clears throat> so there's no nothing that that kind of triggers this this giving and what we've found you know from what we've done is is that you know people even forget they have a daf or they they are like well I'll get to it they're busy it's inertia like they're you know life sure. life happens or they kind of like having it sitting there, even though it's no longer theirs, they have these dollars that they think, well, I can play with it or I can kind of, you know, there it is out there. Yeah. So to answer your question, it's problematic that, that, that okay. there's no one really kind of nudging people or, or inspiring them to, to make donations. Yeah, to it's, to it's really interesting.
1: I mean, I, I've i seen some data that suggests that um, the, the rate of payouts from donor advised funds is actually significantly better than what we see from foundations. So, you know, foundations typically are around that 5% mark, right? At least in 2020, it looks like the actual distributions from donor advised funds were probably four or five times that. Now that might be an anomaly because of the COVID situation. I don't know. My hope, maybe naive, my hope is that that's the start of a new approach to giving through giving accounts. I don't know what we're going to see. What, what's What's your gut on that?
0: Yeah. I mean, the, the statistics sort of is 20% moves through, but that means that a lot of bigger DAFs are just sitting, a lot of big money is just sitting, nothing.
1: It's a good
0: point. Yeah. People are giving, have given more with COVID, you know, I guess giving's up 200% or something, but um, the percentage is going out of DAFs. We don't have that data yet, but yeah, there's still more stuck than moving through.
1: Fair enough. Yeah. And I, you know, I'm, I'm maybe a, a bit of a skeptic. So I think in part, um, these these fund uh, uh, fund managers and, and their companies, you know obviously there's a there's a financial incentive for them to have assets under management, right? So they they're generating uh, a fee of some sort for every dollar that's that's under management in in that asset category. Um, but on top of that, I just think a lot of them aren't aren't educated themselves, right? They're not um, philanthropic advisors right? They've likely never been trained. Some of them maybe are not donors at all in their own lives. So it, it's interesting to me that we might, you know, we might think, hey, why why aren't they doing this? And I think part of it is an education process on their own. But then, you know, the other part of me that's more cynical is, well, you know, there's there's financial incentive both corporately, but m- maybe even personally and individually for, for some of the people managing the those programs to retain as much of that, um, capital as possible. Um, that that's, I'm assuming what you found in, in just, at least in your own personal experience, right?
0: I think you, you're absolutely right. Yeah. There's no incentive. And um, in fact, there's incentive to keep that money there because you're making money on that money. And yeah, it, at a personal level, maybe you have no expertise in, and maybe you know how to kind of make great investments, but you don't know how to, to give or how to even think about philanthropy. So that's it. Yeah. Yeah. I think you've hit the, you've, you've got it. That's exactly
1: So right. you've not said it this way, but I'm just gonna, I'm gonna put the words in your mouth and you tell me if I'm wrong. Um, it sounds like you and your husband got to a point where you just got frustrated. And you said, we got to do something different about this. Uh, am I on the right track there?
0: You're, you're on the right track. It was more COVID related. Um, it was okay. Really driven by frustration because my husband um, founded, co-founded, and um, is the CEO of a, a nonprofit himself, uh, okay. World Week that gets digital books for kids in the developing world. So when COVID hit, he started to feel um, like the funding's drying up. All of a sudden, places that had kind of we're planning planning to give to, to world reader. We're kind of pulling back. It was right right at that moment where the stock market was crashing. And 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 then we he looks we looked around and it's like, well, not only is world reader hurting, everyone is hurt. All these nonprofits, they can't hold their luncheons, they can't hold their you know normal fundraising activities. There's more need than ever. And they're this famous word now pivoting to try and figure out how to make it happen. And so at that moment, really, our hearts went out to nonprofits. We had already been sort of doubling down on the places that we already supported, but we wanted to do more. And we were in the position that we could do more. And we wanted to just start giving to nonprofits. At the same time, that frustration of the you know knowing how much is in donor advised funds is still there. And so let's connect these two things. Let's so- try to move.
1: What did you do because of that then?
0: Yes. Um, so we wanted to move fra- you know money out of DAFs to nonprofits. So we said, let's incent people, and you already identified this, like there is no incentive to move that money. Let's offer up matching grants um, to people who commit to having their DAF. So we came up with this idea of half my DAF. So people who commit to spending out half the money that's in their um, donor advised fund, they just need to make that commitment and start giving, um, we, would, we would start matching those, those grants. So we put up a million dollars. This was in, um, we started May 5th, which was giving Tuesday last year. Okay. And we had people commit to, to halving their death by September 30th. We gave away money in the middle of this, this period at, in July and then again in September. And we had people join us. So we had um, three different couples join us with an add to the matching pool. So we ended up having $1.4 million to give away. And it was so successful. It was so exciting because people, we had over 150 people commit to halving their DAF. That million turned into $8.6 million going to nonprofits. We people gave to 750 nonprofits throughout the country. They made 900 grants, yeah. and we were able to match 350 of those grants. So we randomly selected non, in, in July on July 4, uh, 15th, we randomly selected nonprofits and just started going down the list, dollar for dollar matches. And the and the the grants were anywhere from you know 500 a thousand. You know, Five thousand. there, we had maybe one four hundred thousand dollar. But you know, it it was showed that there are a lot of smaller DAFs out there, and people were were making multiple gifts to a lot of different places. You know, and we saw kind of as as the world changed. You know, initially a lot of of gifts to community support and and food, and then a lot to Black Lives Matter and racial justice issues. And you know, people gave when you look at the research of kind of where do people gave, give, we saw that in, in our data as well, a lot through their churches, a lot to education. Um and, and it was super exciting. And it, and it was, you know, technically a, a huge success to move all that money, but also it sort of created a community where people felt like they were part of something. They were a half of my DAF hero. You know, they told us, they told us this is the nudge I needed. <laughs> Thank you for inspiring me. You know, I'm sitting around the dinner table now with my adult kids because they're home and we're trying to figure out where, you know, where do we want to give? What do we value? It was starting a conversation, which is so important because we don't talk enough about money. It, we need to to you know, get it out there and 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 treat it what like what it is. It's a tool and it's a resource that we have. And if we don't talk about it, we're not going to figure out how to deploy it to the best of our ability.
1: Well, that's that's really significant i mean to deliver <clears throat> really an eight to one multiple on that challenge that's huge right especially in the midst of a global pandemic um in the midst of a, was, a stock market downturn i mean all those things against you that's pretty significant
0: we you know it was our focus and it was it felt like us to us like the rainy day we had mm-hmm. a few people say, well, I don't know if I can commit to that now. I have like my plan for the next three years. i you know, I have these, well, wait, you that nonprofit might not even be around in three years. Yeah. Give to them now. This is the, this is the moment. And, and people felt that and people joined us and, and that was really exciting.
1: So if we look at 2021, what, what's the plan for half my DAF this year?
0: Nice question. You know, it, it, this was sort of a one-off thing for us, but it, it ended up being, you know, so rewarding and so doing so much good to help nonprofits. And we, you know, we had people saying, "Well, when you do it again next year, or you know," and we got a lot of press, so it, it started to feel like a movement. So we're like, "Okay, we need to keep this going." And so again, we're putting up a million dollars, and those same people that joined us last time are joining us again. <laughs> To an even greater extent, Um, and I have to say, we got one of the most amazing Christmas gifts. Our daughters, um, who are 20 and 23, gave us the gift of of adding money to the Half My Daff movement. Awesome. We now have over $3 million to give away in matching grants and we're going to be um, giving a, a general fund. Again, give anywhere you want. We, we are, are really trying to inspire giving for wherever people have a passion. We will not match um, anything that that promotes hate speech or ha- hate crimes or, or gun ownership. But other than that, we'll match any gift. Um, we are also focused on areas that we feel are very are very important. So we have an additional kind of fund for racial justice, um, education in underserved communities, environment and climate, and reproductive health.
1: Okay, okay, and I'm I'm curious. You said your daughters joined on the people that um, that partnered with you last year are partnering with you again. Have you seen an increase in in new uh, people committing to to um, the cha- the pool of challenge funds as well?
0: Um, we haven't had. Well, our daughters were new, <laughs> but other <laughs> than that, we we have not. But okay. but. People who gave, you know, a hundred thousand last year are giving five hundred thousand this year. That's
1: huge! Wow!
0: So it speaks to their experience and their belief in in what we're doing. Um, So that's encouraging. So,
1: if I'm one of the listeners right now, I think what I'm thinking is, how in the world do I get connected into this? Yes. Right. What's that process look like?
0: Yes. So if you're you're leading a nonprofit or uh, you don't have to do anything to receive matches, but it's wise if you approach your donors. And ideally, if you're a nonprofit, you know who your DAF donors are. Um, you figure that out. And I, I also encourage you to keep that in a, your database so you know who they are. They are you know, a diverse group of people, but they likely have resources. So it, it's interesting to keep track of them. Make it easy for them to give to you. So there's a widget you can include on your newsletter in any of your communications that doesn't only allow a donor to give through a check or credit card, which which is gonna cost you a fee. Get let them give directly from their donor-advised fund. This makes it easy for them. It for I can speak from experience when I, I I'm not able to do that. I usually give less because I'm gonna give through my credit card or check. And it's just it's not as easy for me, which means yeah. that you're not going to get as much. So, so make it easy for the donor to 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 do that.
1: Well, I think one of the interesting things that you know, you you know this, but a lot of nonprofits don't is the the minimum distribution in a from a DAF. Like, there's there's a, a threshold, right? So it's got to be at least. I think I've seen two fifty to five hundred dollars as as the minimum.
0: I don't know if that's true. I mean, we got we definitely got. Um, grants for a hundred dollars. Did
1: you really? Okay. Okay. So maybe that's changed. Yeah.
0: I'm not sure there is a minimum. So yeah, and it it allows them to use their DAF and that's what we want. Mm -hmm. We want that money moving. Um, So as it, so the next step is we have a website. You can go and and take a look at the instruction page. Um, It's really your opportunity to reach out to your donor and tell them what you're up to. Tell them the challenges you face. Talk about what you've achieved. it's, What's it's that important. URL? It is www.halfmydaf.com. Halfmydaf.com. Tell them what you're up to and then tell them about this great opportunity. If, you're, if your donor commits to halving their DAF and gives to you as an organization, that grant is eligible for a match from us. So there's, we've even included a um, kind of a sample letter that you might want to use to, to as you think about you know, reaching out to donors.
1: Great. We can even, uh, we'll, we'll link to your site uh, in our show notes. And, and if we can link to that uh, letter as well, we'll do that for you too, um, so that it gets it out. You know, one of the things that I've been surprised by and, and you know, worked with hundreds of different nonprofits, very few of them are actually having conversations with donors about giving from their donor-advised fund accounts, and, and most don't have a handle on who the donors are that have giving accounts. What um, what would you say to those organizations about how they should approach this differently?
0: Well, some I mean, DAFs have a lot of problems. One of the issues I hear from nonprofits is that they'll get a check, and it won't have the names of the donors on it. Hmm. It'll be from Schwab or from a community foundation. Well, that's sort of an indication that whoever gave that to you has a DAF. You got to connect it with the people. Um, and hopefully often you do get to, to, to get those names. Um, I think, you know, you you treat a, someone with a DAF like you treat any other donor. It's all about building that relationship, helping them see how they can have an impact, how they can you know make a difference um, in something that they're passionate about and, and join you in, in kind of solving a problem or or. or supporting a group, whatever it is that you're, whatever you're doing in the, in the nonprofit world.
1: Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, so I'm, <clears throat> excuse me, I, I think, you know, we're, we're just about out of time here, but I, I wanna get your thoughts on one other aspect of this, um, really on the stewardship piece, how, how a nonprofit follows up well and engages well once that gift comes in from your maybe your personal experience what have you seen that you've thought wow this is this is a spectacular experience versus huh maybe i was kind of underwhelmed with that one like what what this kind is, of insight could you share
0: yeah this is so incredibly important um the stewardship really is everything Um, And I think everyone's different. Some people want to write a check and don't really want to be bothered afterwards, but you need to know who those people are. You want to know who some people want to know, get a, a monthly update on what's going on. Some people want to meet you for coffee and have a personal interaction with you. Everyone's different, but you need to know what your donor, who they are and what they care about and what they want. And I can pretty much guarantee that everybody wants to be thanked. <laughs> and to yep. feel acknowledged and this is the biggest and this happened to me you know when I was early on in my philanthropic journey like people I didn't ever get a thank you or I got a you know a, what felt like a curt form letter and then the next communication was you know can you give again hmm. so that that doesn't feel good and it, it you know it doesn't feel like I've been recognized as a person or or valued or you I mean, we all want to be seen and understood and connected. So, I mean, showing that that kind of completing that circle of giving is the the sense of of appreciation and gratitude. So that's number one. And then, you know, people will I and my from my experience too. Maybe I'll give a thousand dollars one year. I have a good experience. Maybe I'll up my giving. And I think that's very common. The the donor who comes in at five thousand could well be a, a $50,000 or $100,000 donor, but it takes time. And I think dedicating that time to building that relationship, understanding what that donor wants, how much handholding, how much information, how much, you know, I think the other piece is listen, listen carefully to what your donor's saying, who they are, um, ask them for advice. Mm. And people love that, anyone loves that. I mean, it's it's just kind of hu- human relationship building
1: for sure. Yeah. Well, Jen, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for um, for your passion for philanthropy um, and for making an impact in the world. Um, and thank you for sharing about Half My daff with us. Give us one more time. Uh, what's the URL that that organizations can go to?
0: Uh, it's Half My daff. H-A-L-F-M-Y-D-A-F, all, all together.com. And thank you so much, Andrew.
1: Yeah. And, and uh, best of luck in the now $3 million dollar Uh, 2021 Half My Daf Challenge. We're excited to, uh, to see that kick off and see what kind of impact that'll make this year. Thank you again.
0: Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Rainmaker Fundraising Podcast. Please take a moment to rate this episode on iTunes or your favorite podcast platform. When you rate this episode, it will help more nonprofit leaders just like you to help find us and get the information that they need to raise more funds for their organization. Thanks again for listening today.